Welcome to DW's On the Green Fence podcast. My name is Neil King and this is the second episode of our mini-series on civil disobedience. Now, last week on On the Green Fence, we looked at the measures climate activists are resorting to to get the public and governments to pay more attention to climate change. And this week, we decided to look at how authorities are responding with tactics of their own. In Australia, for instance, a climate activist was handed a 15-month jail sentence for blocking a single lane of rush hour traffic on Sydney Harbour Bridge. In the UK, an activist was jailed for six months for disrupting traffic on the M25 motorway. In Belgium, two climate activists received a two-month prison sentence for attacking a famous painting in a Dutch museum picture was not damaged by their actions, by the way. And uh, climate activists have also been charged and in some cases jailed in other countries in the US, France and Italy, for instance. Now, the right to peaceful protest is crucial in a democracy. It's one way members of the public can have their say about political issues and push for change. But uh, some campaigners are particularly concerned about legislation that is being considered in the UK right now under the so-called Public Order Bill. And it's legislation that could curtail those rights considerably, and that in one of the cradles of democracy. It's a bill that has drawn strong criticism from Amnesty International and over 70 other organisations who describe it as deeply draconian. Katie Watts is a lawyer with the justice campaign group Liberty in the UK, founded in the 1930s to defend the rights of protesters. I wanted to get her take on the public order bill and what it would mean for the climate movement and protesters in general. I started the interview by asking her just how unprecedented this kind of planned legislation is in the UK. I mean, I wouldn't say that the use of legislation in this way is necessarily unprecedented. Um, I mean, for decades... We've seen that where protests flourish, anti-protest legislation follows. Um, I think what's different now is the extent to which we're granting um, powers to the police. And that's in, again, direct response to a wave of mass mobilisations across the UK in the last few years, challenging climate change and inequality. Um, And that really ramped up during the pandemic when we saw that protest movements faced unprecedented restrictions on gatherings and heavy-handed policing. Mm. Can you perhaps give some concrete examples there so that, you know, people who perhaps are not so acquainted with the law um, understand what this actually means for their daily life? First of all, the legislation creates new powers of stop and search, including suspicionless stop and search. And that's particularly concerning because we've previously only seen suspicionless stop and search used in the context of serious violence or terrorism. Um, And so extending it to protest is an extraordinary extension of those powers. Mm. The bill also creates new protest-related offences, and those offences are on the face of it targeted at climate protesters and at some of the tactics which are being used by climate protesters. But again, the offences are so broadly drafted that you can see how they can be used to target other kinds of protesters and even people who are not protesting at all. So first of all, there's a new offence of locking on, which is a criminal offence targeting people who attach themselves to another person, to an object or to land, or attach a person to a person or an object to an object. Mm. Um, And that becomes a criminal offence if those activities 
cause serious disruption to two or more people. I mean, ostensibly, it, it, it's targeting the, the climate protesters right now, right? But I mean, how concerned are you about its implications uh, for human rights and uh, democracy? Yeah, it's deeply concerning. I think you have to see um, these anti-protest measures within the context of everything else that's happening in the UK. They are part of a wider attack, actually, on people's rights and on people's ability to hold the government to account. So it's not just anti-protest measures that we're seeing at the moment. Um, the government has also tried to repeal the Human Rights Act, which incorporates the European Convention on Human Rights into UK law. Um, and replace it with a much weaker bill of rights that would limit people's ability to challenge uh, rights violations. That followed attempts to restrict the use of judicial review, which is the legal mechanism we have for challenging unlawful government decision making, um, the introduction of voter ID laws. And in the last couple of weeks, the government has introduced legislation which will severely undermine the right to strike. So this does seem like a concerted attack mm. um, on human rights and democracy more broadly. And then in terms of, of protest from a legal perspective, I think it's clear that some of the more extreme measures in the public order bill are actually incompatible with our rights to freedom of expression um, and assembly, which are protected by the European Convention. So it's doubly concerning to see those measures come hand in hand with those threats to repeal the Human Rights Act and even increasing calls from members of the government um, for the UK to leave the European Convention completely. Because we have an international audience, uh, Katie, um, I mean, if we just look at, at a bit broader, the authorities in other countries, they've also, uh, you know, been trying to prevent disruptive climate protests. In Germany, for instance, it's this was news to me as well. I didn't realise this was so draconian in Germany. Um, but it's possible to keep protesters in preventative detention in Bavaria up to two months uh, for pretty much, I mean, having, not having done anything. It's just like, you know, they might do something so they get locked up. Um, in Australia, the state of New South Wales passed legislation last year that punishes uh, blocking roads, ports or bridges with a possible two-year jail sentence. And in several US states, they've also introduced laws to punish people for impeding the operation of pipelines. I mean, if, if we look at this you know, how this is developing. And this is the Western world, right? This is allegedly uh, <laughs> the free world, the democratic world. I mean, what is your impression of these efforts in Western countries to deal with civil disobedience? Is it, I mean, are we shifting to more autocratic times in, in Western countries? Yeah, it certainly feels like it. This is a response, actually, to governments which are failing to respond in any meaningful way to the climate crisis. So, as they force protesters to be more creative with these authoritarian and draconian uh, legislation, um, protesters have to come up with new ways of getting the attention of decision makers um, and the public. You mentioned the, the provisions in Germany to detain protesters, and there's an analogy there with one of the other range of measures in the public order bill, which are serious disruption prevention orders or protest banning orders, which are new powers to impose civil orders on protesters to ban them essentially from participating in protest. They can be imposed on anyone who has participated uh, in at least two protests with the last, within the last five years, whether or not you've been convicted of any protest related crime and can come with a range of extremely onerous requirements, including being subject to electronic monitoring. So I think the kinds of measures that you're talking about um, globally, we're, we're certainly seeing here in the UK as well. Um, and it's deeply concerning that governments, you know, are giving themselves power to monitor and surveil protesters um, to 
arbitrarily detain people mm. to impose those kinds of extreme sentences on people for non-violent peaceful protest as you've said including simply blocking roads okay katie perhaps if we look at the other side then just for a bit i mean if we look at the the, the methods that are being used um by the protesters some recent protests have they've disrupted traffic on roads and at airports uh, it affects members of the public you might have important appointments or places to travel it's very disruptive and not everybody's happy with it um i mean in a way the government also has to um make life easy for those people right for the broader public as well they, they also have an obligation there to, to to maintain the peace and keep things running um i mean aren't strong responses from the government justified uh when protest actions start impinging on the freedom of other people? Or, you know, where do we strike the balance there? Well, I mean, protest is a fundamental human right. Um, and it's a vital tool for people to stand up for what they believe in. And for some groups, it's the only way to make their voices heard. So throughout history, we can see that people fighting for causes they believe in have used a range of different protest tactics, Um including protest tactics that have been unpopular in the past, which are now celebrated for the change that they helped to bring about. So, you know, I think that strikes at the heart of what it means to protest. People need to be able to um, choose how and where and when they voice dissent and to use a diverse range of tactics. Mm. Um, otherwise, protest you know, is meaningless if you can't, for example, use it at sites of power or at the targets of your movement, whether that's national infrastructure or roads or, you know, other kinds of targets. So some disruption is inevitable if a protest is actually going to be effective. It's it's going to attract attention from the public and from decision makers. In terms of where the balance lies, um, the European Convention on Human Rights, which in Europe protects our right to protest, actually makes it very clear that the right to freedom of expression and assembly is qualified and, and does have to be weighed against the interests and freedoms of the wider community. So I would say it's for the courts to decide where the balance lies on a case-by-case basis. But if you look at the case law, it's clear mm. um, that protest, which causes some disruption, is still protected, which is why, going back to the public order bill, it's deeply concerning that recent amendments to the bill mm. um, have sought to define serious disruption as, as disruption which is more than minor, because that's going to catch a very wide range of protest tactics, which actually um, should be protected by our fundamental right. Coming back to the methods, uh, Katie, um, I mean, what is wrong if people or protest movements register a protest? Um, you know, um, say, I mean, it's the same in Germany, right? You can you can register and say, we want to have a demonstration. This is the day. This is the time. This is where we want to do it. And then the authorities sign off on, on, sign off on it or, or not. <laughs> but uh, generally they do. Um, what is the problem of just, you know, keeping protest within those borders, um, which probably would also cause less disruption to the general public? Well, first of all, I think that part of the problem is actually in the UK, the police are being given more powers to um, impose conditions on those kinds of protests, even where protest groups have done everything they can to comply um, with the legal framework, to give notice, uh, to let the police know what they're planning on organising. We're seeing that the police are imposing onerous conditions on those protests, diverting routes away from sites of power, 
um, imposing conditions on the number of attendees, um, on the noise generated by the protest. And all of those measures, you know, have the effect of really limiting the effectiveness of protests um, and also creating actually a climate in which people are very anxious about about exercising even, you know, what you might call kind of lawful protest um, because they're concerned that failure to comply with those conditions could um, inadvertently lead them to commit a criminal offence. So I don't think it's as simple as saying there are protests which are, you know, within the law and and then those which are kind of outside it and the protesters should be taking, you know, care to to comply with, with the law. It's completely ineffective to hold a protest somewhere where no one will see it where it causes no disruption where no one hears you no one's going to pay any attention to that kind of protest whereas if you are able to grab the attention of those decision makers then you're putting you know your cause whether that's climate justice or racial justice you know then you're putting your cause front and center and hopefully um you know having your voice heard and potentially creating change. Many thanks to lawyer Katie Watts from the justice campaign group Liberty in the UK there. not just in the UK where climate protesters are feeling the heat from the authorities. This is also happening here in Germany. And perhaps it's no surprise, given that last year alone, climate activists staged over 1,200 blockades across Germany since the start of 2022. And one group has been standing out with disruptive protests here in Germany, the so-called Letzte Generation, or Last Generation. They've sat down on highways, airport runways, they've held protests at museums, stadiums and oil pipelines these past months. Now, according to the authorities, police officers in Berlin alone spent 262,700 hours dealing with activists from the group. 2,700 charges have been laid and a number of trials are underway. But here in Germany, there's also a controversial legal loophole that allows authorities to crack down on protesters without trial. It's called preventive detention or preventive custody, and it exists in the police laws of all German states and was originally designed to target potential terrorists. The duration of detention is regulated differently. In most cases, the time frame ranges from 4 to 14 days. In Berlin, the maximum is 48 hours. Bavaria clearly stands out. 30 days of preventive detention are possible, and this can also be extended by another month. Now, Theo Schnarr is a biochemistry PhD student at Greifswald University. He's also a member and spokesperson of The Last Generation and has participated in a string of disruptive climate protests. He knows firsthand what preventive detention feels like, and so I got in touch with him to talk about his experience and how his group is responding to what appears to be growing intimidation tactics by the authorities. So the way that it, it did happen to me, um, I was being part in a 
let's call it protest wave in Frankfurt um, am Main. It's the capital of the federal state Hessen. And this is where all the banks are having their their main buildings. And we were protesting against um, investments into, into fossil fuels. On the third consecutive day, when I was taking part in, in, in blocking a street, there was a judge coming to me and asking me what I would do the next days. And I said that I don't know what I will do the next days. And then she decided that this could mean that I would be going into the next protest. So she decided to keep me in the next day. So I was I was detained for that night and the complete next day until 10, 10 p.m. or something. And then in the week after that, I was taking part in a protest again. And then um, I was being detained again. The judge came again, asked me what I would be doing the next day. And I said, I, I don't know what I will be doing the next day. So she kept me until, so from, from Tuesday until Sunday, she kept me in detention because it could mean that I would be going into, um, into the protest again. Yeah. And so, I mean, what if you had said, well, uh, I'm going to go and visit my aunt? It depends a little on the judge, I would say. Like, we have a rule for ourselves. If we want, like, if we tell the judge in that very situation that I won't be going into the protest on the next day, then I don't do it. Because, um, because yeah, it's, 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 it's important to say the truth there. Well, you've got, but, that's like an honor, an honor code then you've got then. Yeah, but the judge can still say, I don't believe you. So it's a personal thing then. For example, in Berlin, as far as I know, there's a judge who, who believes us because he, he, was never, he has never been lied to by, by people from us. So this is why it's so important to, to, to be truthful about uh, at that situation. But still, the, the, the judge can say, I don't believe you. I, I think you will, you will go into protest again tomorrow. I will keep you in detention. Right. But it's not like, because as I understand, Theo, you also said at the beginning that, you know, in these actions, when you glue yourself to roads, um, you give the police your personal ID so they know exactly who you are. You're mm -hmm. very transparent. So they've actually got you on record. They've got a list of all the people that do this. Yes, they do. So, but it, it, we haven't reached a point yet where they are knocking on people's doors or, or ringing doorbells before events and say, you know, are you going to go there today? If yes, then you're coming with us for a couple of days. That, that hasn't happened yet. As far as my, as I know, this didn't happen until today. Yeah, yeah, this would be super creepy. I don't even, I, so I don't know if it's if this law allows it. I would say that it allows it. But so what what has happened was was house searches. And what were they looking for? Yeah, this is a good question. I still don't know <laughs> because it, it's so strange. I mean, I give them so they weren't at my place, but um, we give them our ID. They they know us. I mean, it also sounds like I mean that that could be. A form of intimidation as well, the tactics, right? Because it, it, I mean, it, this to me, it, it sounds quite unsettling and scary. And uh, if you also, um, I mean, get locked up and spend, um, I don't know, what was the longest you spent in jail? So me personal, it was um, it was this like five five days. So from Tuesday to to Sunday. And I mean, how did that affect you? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, w I would say I came prepared. <laughs> Um, I was, I was, I mean, it was um, like a single cell detention, right? So I was on my own for almost the whole day. There was, I was allowed to to bring a book, and at some point I got a lot of letters because so many people were writing me, 
um, which was crazy because there were letters from, from Denmark, from Portugal, even one from Australia. But so when I was going into, into that blockade of that day, I, I was already aware that this could happen. So it's because on the Thursday of the week before where I had been in detention um, already, all the people who went into action there, even if it was their first time ever, they were they were all being sent away for over the weekend. So from Thursday to Monday, and it was the Easter weekend. They were even locking away um, mothers who were like doing the first action ever. All the and, and this was this was the very situation. There were a lot of people saying that they that they won't be going into action the next day. And so, so this was intimidation. It would, I, I don't see another explanation for that. So yeah, when it when it when it became so when it was Tuesday of the of the next week, I thought that okay, this this might be happening to to me, and I had a um, chat with a with my wife before that that this would could uh, could happen to me, and also with a good friend of mine um, who was who was um, also with me um, that day, and we said that we cannot like if if we if if we would be scared of that. In that situation, because all of our friends were being locked away over the Easter weekend, we we give in to the repression of the state, and we cannot let them win. So yeah, so when I when I found myself in that very situation, being locked away all of all on my own, just I don't know two two times a day, being able to to call my wife, for example, I decided to go there. So this was this was helping me a lot. That, that, that I came there by, by, by free choice, basically. I mean, is there a, a pain threshold for you, Theo? Because it, it sounds like, you know, depending on the state, I mean, Bavaria, you know, it could be up to two months. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, yeah. something, is that something where, you know, some of your co-activists also say, listen, I'm sorry, but I, I can't go to jail for two months? Yeah, it's a very personal decision. Definitely, because um, I mean, in Bavaria there was there were a friend of mine. She's she's a mother of two children and uh, still decided to go there because she said it's for those two children that she's doing that. Yeah, I would say the the, the answer to that question depends depends on the day. I mean, I also do have my PhD thesis, which I worked on for a couple of years now, which I. Um, yeah, I also have to invest a lot of time. So being away for two months or something is, yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is so strange, right? It's, it's such a strange personal situation all the time, because we are talking about the biggest crisis that humanity ever faced. Um, our, our climate being ripped apart. So how can I not put everything that I do into trying to prevent that? But yeah, on the other hand, this this PhD thesis is such a part of me and has been such a part of me for so long. I always wanted to be a scientist. I hope it's it's coming through. It's a very, very strange situation. Not seeing the catastrophe, but but still saying, okay, I do as much as I can, but I also have to keep something of the of the other me. Yeah. Theo, um, if we, if we just mm. look at um, you know the impact this has, um, you know the mm. fact that you're you're going to jail for something that you believe is right uh, and mm. and urgent and necessary, and uh, you know some of your co-activists uh, facing um, preventative detention of up to two months even in in, in states such as Bavaria, mm. um, 
and you said you know that with with some reactions from the authorities it felt like intimidation tactics were being used i mean what does this mean for your group um if you feel like you know okay the authorities are escalating things in a way um Mm -hmm. i mean how do you react to this Mm -hmm. interesting question yeah so the first thing i would say is that um this reaction of authorities shows that the protest is working that we that we are not ignored anymore that um uh, yeah, that that now the, the the point has come that they are trying to fight us to to keep us small, and the the way that the state can react is to put repressions onto us, and this is where, yeah, where we need to keep going because at this situation that the the society has to pick a side, right? They 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 have to pick a side. Okay, it's it's okay to to send those people away who are who are peacefully protesting for the future of all of us. Um, or if it's not right. So if they see that point that it's not right, and this is something that we deeply believe in, that society can will, will, will see, they, they will pick our side and they will also start to protest. But Theo, you saying that, you know, people have to decide. Um, I mean, from surveys, as I understand, over three quarters of Germans disagree with your methods. Um, so- yes, I mean, mm-hmm. how do, so, I mean, you say that the state is responding, so your protests are working. But at the same time, it sounds like, or it seems, that you're rubbing the German public the wrong way. Um, yeah, the, the, the surveys, surveys show that. Interestingly, there has been a survey in the north of Germany where they differentiated it by age. And people younger than 29, it was 50 per, uh, like 51%, I, I, I think it was, so they, they were saying that we do the right methods. So it's quite interesting to see the difference between, between ages there. This is one point. The next point is that campaigns of civil disobedience were never liked in their times. So to us, the suffragettes now are uh, heroines, but in that time, the public looked at them like being crazy, women, crazy witches blowing post boxes up and um, scavenging through through streets and stuff like that. But to us now, those were the people who were fighting for 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 justice between between genders. And I think we're in a quite similar situation now because we are fighting for something that people know it's right. Um, we also have surveys, sometimes it's the same survey, um, pointing out that 80% of Germans want to have a better, a better better climate policies, 80% saying that the German state is not doing enough. So um, they do see the problem. And the crazy thing about civil disobedience is that you don't need to have 40 million, so which would be 50% of the German population, 40 million on the streets. It's it's a few a few percent of of people who need to disrupt everyday life. It can be different ways. It doesn't necessarily has to be gluing yourself onto the street, but it's just it's just a few uh, uh, percent. And if that that amount of people is going into protest, is putting down work, for example, the system basically collapses, and the state has to change something. So yeah, I, I do believe that there are, that there is a, a, enough people who are. Who, yeah, who are willing to engage in, in, in some kind of disobedience. Theo, um, uh, the, the last generation, I mean, how are your membership numbers developing? I mean, are your ranks growing um, or how many are you? 
yes, the ranks are growing. I don't can you I, I cannot give you specific numbers on that again because we, we don't we don't have lists, right? Um, it's it's not like a like a club with a with a membership list. Um, and also there's some people who like they join some protests, then they drop out again because they have to take care of, of um, other things or they want to take part in, in other movements, for example. Um, but yeah, it, overall it's, it's growing. And we can also see that um, in the way that we organize the protest now, um, until now the, the protest was mainly focused onto Berlin, but now it's, um, yeah, the protest will be, will be brought into the whole uh, into the into the whole republic so we want to take actions in a lot of towns and this is just possible because there are so many new groups now and yeah with with that of course there's there's even more attention with a <laughs> with a, with the policies that are done right now which are absurd um doing the next contracts with the fossil industries and 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 and, and investing even more into into um, highways and all that crazy stuff that our government is, is wants to do right now there's even more people who um who decide to take action so the the numbers are growing yeah i, I think we're at a very very interesting situation uh, i think 2023 will be very interesting because what's also interesting that, you know, the beginning of this year, for instance, uh, in the UK, Extinction Rebellion announced that they were ceasing um, um, all disruptive protests temporarily. Um, so they were sort of adopting a different strategy because they felt that um, they were uh, losing uh, parts of the public with disruptive uh, protests. But you are going a different route, right? You're expanding the disruptions. I mean, there's there's different ways that you that you can think or believe um, societal change can happen and I think it's really important that we have different ways um, where, where where people can can get into I, I you you will still see me at um, at demonstrations of Fridays for future and so on because I, so I, I do believe that we need a, a variety of movements and I personally do believe that this disruptive protest is, the the most effective way because it leads to a society talking about the injustice that is happening they don't have to like me it's it's not i don't want to be liked by the people but um i think for i think it's four years now of fridays for future has shown us that if we just like i don't know four days or maybe some, some more days go onto the streets with a big and um uh, colorful beautiful demonstration even policymakers will will stand next to it and say thank you so much for all the energy and we can use this now and then for example our green party is elected into government and they do basically the same politics like like we've had before with our conservative parties so i i, I don't so I, I think it's good to have the variety but the united nations right they, they pointed out we also need a societal change and the point is that we don't have that much time anymore. We need to get this done right now. We have to come together as a society. So, so what we are doing is reminding the society over and over again, talk this out. And if the, poli like if the policymaker, like, this is something that we are demanding now, that the policymakers is giving the power back to, back to the people 
and giving us the opportunity to, 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 to talk this out. Which way do we want to go? Do we want to go into extinction or do we want to go into a, yeah, into a, climate, uh, into a world of climate justice where, yeah, which is a better world where we, where we can provide wealth to, to everyone and don't have this situation that just a very few people have a lot of money, a lot of influence and, and also the, the biggest impact actually onto, onto the crisis. Many thanks to Theo Schnarr there from The Last Generation. Please do let us know what route climate activists are taking in your country and how the authorities are responding to disruptive protests. You can email us at onthegreenfence at dw.com. In our next episode, we'll be taking a closer look at just how great the potential for a radicalisation of the climate movement is. That's it from me for now. Many thanks to my colleague Natalie Muller and my sound engineer Jürgen Kuhn. And a big thanks to you for listening, sharing, rating and subscribing to On the Green Fence. My name is Neil King. Take it easy and take care.